0: This evening we're going to consider the power of the Gospel of Christ. The power of the Gospel of Christ. Romans chapter 1, verses 11 through to 17. Last week we saw that the Apostle Paul made a request to God that he might come to the church in Rome. Now we come to chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, if you want to turn to Romans chapter 1, and we'll have a look at verses 11 and 12. Paul said, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. First of all, Paul said, I long to see you. Yet as far as can be ascertained, he didn't actually know any of them personally. Even so, perhaps you can feel something of the affection of Paul towards the church in Rome and the strength and the closeness of the bond between him and them. Even though there is no reason to imagine that Paul did know them, he was nevertheless united to all of them by cords of divine love soaked in divine blood. Let's remind ourselves what Paul used to be like some 30 years earlier. As Saul of Tarsus, he hated the church. He breathed out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. He was a man at whose feet the Jews, who stoned to death Stephen, laid down their clothes. It is written of Stephen that his face resembled the face of an angel. And Saul, as he, as Paul was then, he stood there watching as Stephen was stoned to death. In Romans chapter five and verse five, Paul spoke about the love of God being shed abroad or poured out in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given us. We see that to be the case with Paul, whose wicked and deceitful heart was radically dramatically and miraculously changed in that it was filled with the love of God for the brethren in Rome. The Apostle Peter spoke about loving Jesus whom we have not seen and that is precisely how it is for all of us Christians, at least I trust it is. None of us in here have seen Jesus and yet by the grace of God we love him and I say by the grace of God Because this runs counter to what the usual response of this world is to Jesus. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me before it hated you. This is a Christ-hating world. And so if you love Jesus, if you look for that time when you will wake up in his presence, And behold his glory. His beautiful face. Then you are a recipient of God's grace. That love for Jesus is evidenced in a love for the brethren. May may God fill our hearts to overflowing with a love that reaches brothers And sisters in Christ, even those who we have never met. Because that is a demonstration of your love for Jesus. I can still remember now, it's so clear to me, I forget most things. But when I became a Christian, a good number of years ago now, just hearing a Wednesday Bible study and prayer meeting in my church in in Bexley Heath in Kent, about a young a young woman in Spain who converted to Christianity from Roman Catholicism. And her family killed her. They poisoned her. But there was that oneness with her. And even, I didn't understand things too well then, but it's real, isn't it? That connection that you have with Christians, even those you don't know, wherever they may be, because they really are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Why did Paul long to see the believers in Rome? The answer is given in verse 11 as being to impart some spiritual gift. Might that spiritual gift have been the gift of tongues or perhaps speaking words of prophecy? The spiritual gift can be worked out from what follows. Paul said, To the end ye may be established. Have a look at that in verse 11 there. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end ye may be established. There's the clue. There's the clue in the last part of verse 11. He said to to the end you may be established, that is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. so you 've got to think to yourself now, what spiritual gift would result in Christians being established or strengthened and being mutually encouraged or comforted, whatever that spiritual gift was. It would have served to make those Christians more firmly rooted in their Christian faith. And the sure way to be established or strengthened is to eat good spiritual food. That food is the word of God that tells us about Jesus who is the bread of life. That is the way to be comforted, to be strengthened To have Jesus, and more Jesus. We are to feed and feast on Jesus as we read the word of God, and study the doctrine of the apostles, such as we have from start to finish in this letter to the Romans. In verse 12, it can be seen that Paul humbly acknowledged That even he would benefit from spending some time with the believers in Rome. Paul, the great apostle. That he too would be comforted. Therefore, all in all, Paul's visit would be mutually beneficial in that the Roman believers would be strengthened and both he and they would be comforted. That really does highlight the importance of fellowship for everyone in the church from newly converted christians christians who have been christians for a number of years and to church leaders as well paul the apostle again he was going to be he was going to be benefited from having time with them that fellowship is important for all of us including me as as the pastor of this church <clears throat> people whose God-given calling is to teach the word of God and to feed the sheep. But we all need that comfort, that mutual um, fellowship so that we can be strengthened, comforted, and that we can benefit from one from another. Let's have a look at verse 13. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also even as among other Gentiles when Paul said now I would not have you ignorant he could have just as easily said I want you to know it means the same thing does it not I would not have you ignorant of this or I want you to know this but by stating it in the negative he was emphasizing what he was about to say in other words what was he about to say brethren that oftentimes i purposed to come unto you but was let hitherto that i might have some fruit among you also even as among other gentiles he wanted to emphasize that that he was wanted to come to them, but he was stopped from coming. <clears throat> On many occasions, it had been Paul's plan to come to Rome. However, the Lord was using him elsewhere. Paul desired to have some fruit among them. In other words, he desired to see spiritual growth among the believers, but also his desire for Rome would have been that even more repentant sinners received Jesus as their Saviour and their Lord. This is Paul who said, I am determined not to know anything amongst you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Or woe is unto me if I preach not the Gospel. You can see with Paul what was foremost in his mind and in his words. It was all about Jesus and people coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And then growing in, that, in, their, in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's have a look at verses 14 and 15. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, So as much as is in me, uh, uh, as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul said that he was a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians. You're probably more familiar with the term Jews and Gentiles. Are they one of the same thing? Greeks and barbarians, Jews and Gentiles. They're not, and you shouldn't confuse the two. Even though the Greek Empire was finished, Greek culture and Greek language continued to live. It was still very strong in the Roman Empire. (coughs) Broadly speaking, the Roman Empire was divided up into two categories of people. Those who embraced the Greek culture and those who didn't. They didn't need to be Greek. But those who embraced that culture and that language and those who didn't. The ones who didn't were the barbarians. As for the Jews, if they were Hellenized, they would have been considered to be Greeks. But then there were the Jews who stuck with the Aramaic language and they didn't embrace the Greek ways, the Greek customs, the Greek culture, they would have been classed as barbarians. Having a Greek culture and education was advantageous. It was seen as superior. For Paul, it made no difference whether a person was in the category of the wise and learned Greeks or else the unlearned barbarians. He was a debtor to both. He was a debtor to both Greeks and barbarians by virtue of the fact that he was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. As such, his doctrine and the, and the gospel that he preached is of value to all people, to Greeks, to barbarians, or if you like, to Jews and to Gentiles, to everybody. As the Lord Jesus Christ said to Ananias, Concerning Paul in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. We make a mistake if we think of the Apostle Paul as just being the Apostle to the Gentiles. We mustn't limit the work and the ministry of the apostles. We have their doctrine in the the New Testament. That doctrine is for Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, barbarians. Paul's apostolic ministry was to Gentiles, to Jews, to whoever. When baby Jesus was presented at the temple in Jerusalem, a devout man named Simeon knew that Jesus was sent as a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. Jesus was sent both for Jews and Gentiles. Even now, over 2,000 years later, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ continues to shine forth in the doctrine of his apostles. And it is, and, and is by the grace of God reaching the hearts and minds of Gentiles and of Jews alike. In fact, whoever and wherever, according to God's good pleasure. Also, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, never forgot the depth of the wickedness that he had been saved from. In Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15 he said this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. In saying I am chief Paul was not only acknowledging his past sinfulness as Saul of Tarsus but also his present sinfulness as such he would never have forgotten the debt of his sin that the Lord Jesus Christ released him from with his own precious blood hence Paul's desire was to come to Rome and preach the gospel of Christ to to Greeks and to barbarians that brings us on to verse 16 and to what the gospel actually is. Let's have a look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Again, Paul used a negative to highlight something positive. When he said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, gospel of Christ, he was emphasising that he was honoured and he was proud to preach the gospel by which he, the chief of sinners, had been saved. He was not ashamed of the gospel, despite it being a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness. To Gentiles and to the, rather to Greeks. And it's the same today, isn't it? By and large, the cross is foolishness to those who perish. The very notion of, of Jesus being nailed to a cross and lifted up to die for sinners is foolishness to men and even now men turn their faces from him Jesus is rejected and despised and so is his gospel if you don't believe me next time you're out and about strike up a conversation about the gospel see how well received it is maybe in the workplace in your staff room, or whatever, in the canteen. Talk about the gospel. Talk about Jesus. If you truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then it's easy to see how Christ is the power of God. For example, his divine power can be clearly seen in creation. As it is written in John chapter 1 and verse 3, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You believe that Jesus is God incarnate. You see the power of Jesus in creation. That's easy. However, here in verse 16, look at it again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ... So it's not talking so much about Christ, but his gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. He said the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. For one thing, that means that you cannot separate separate Christ from his gospel. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24... Paul called Christ the power of God. Again, that's, that one we should be able to understand. Jesus is God. Paul says, talk, Paul talked about the Christ, Christ the power of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 24. Here in verse 16, he said that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. It is by the gospel of Christ that hell-deserving sinners like you and like me are made new creatures in Christ. It's by the gospel. As for what the gospel of Christ is, Paul answered that one in 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 1 through to 4, where he said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, And wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures." verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. If you think of righteousness as being the opposite of sinfulness, all who by the grace of God believe the gospel of Christ And are saved, as per verse 16 there, receive a righteousness that is not their own, and which is revealed in the gospel of Christ. It is the righteousness of Christ who became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is where we see the power of the gospel. Therein is revealed the righteousness of God. It is a righteousness of Christ who became obedient unto death on the cross. Here in verse 17, Paul said, the just shall live by faith, where just means righteous. So what he's saying there, the just shall live by faith, the righteous shall live by faith. That, that English translation can also be written the right, um, by faith, the righteous shall live by faith the righteous shall live what it means is that if you believe the gospel of christ and are saved from your sins you shall live on and endure in his righteousness by means of your god-given faith you the gospel is the power of god unto salvation If by the grace of God you hear the gospel message, you read it for yourself, and you believe, and you have that God-given faith, you live on as a born-again Christian in the righteousness of Christ by means of faith. It really makes you think, doesn't it, when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, We see an example of it in these verses, just how much so it is finished. Living on in his righteousness, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's vital that you understand what is being said in verses 16 and verse 17. Look at them again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Those who are justified, those who have the righteousness of God, not a self-righteousness, the righteousness of God shall live by their God-given faith. That ties in with many other Bible verses such as Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 where Paul said For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast. It means that there will never be any souls in heaven who will be able to boast about how they merited forgiveness, how they merited everlasting life. No one boasting about how they fed the neighbour's cat when the neighbour was on holiday or anything else. Nothing like that. No boasting at all about how good I was. I wasn't like that other person, that one who was on the news the other day. I was generally quite good. I didn't swear too much. I didn't tell too many lies. I didn't steal too many things. There'd be none of that in heaven. Salvation comes to sinners who by the grace of God believe the gospel of Christ. I say by the grace of God because you think of Lydia in Acts of the Apostles. The Lord opened her heart to attend to the things that were being said by Paul. And also Acts chapter 13, verse 48, uh, the the Gentiles, the the ones who were ordained unto eternal life, they believed. They were ordained unto eternal life by God. It's God-given faith. As we come to a close, can you see how important the gospel of Christ is? In fact, it is so important that in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8, Paul said, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Strong words from the apostle, let him be accursed. Paul was not invoking a curse upon preachers of a false gospel. It wasn't his place to do so. However, what he was doing was repeating the verdict of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the Jewish religious leaders and by extension to all who do not proclaim the true gospel. Let them be accursed. Paul even included the angels and himself as being the subject, uh, being subject to the curse of God if they preached a false gospel. It's serious stuff. For all that, a false gospel devoid of any power to save is being proclaimed in many pulpits across the world and even here on this little island home of ours. I say devoid of power because a false, a gospel is being preached, but it is a false gospel. And people are inviting Jesus into their hearts and they are being baptized without them having repented from their sins. And as I said the other week, there are pastors, preachers who are on record, publicly, as saying that they will not talk about sin. People are beat up as it, enough as it is. They don't want to beat them up anymore by talking about sin. You cannot proclaim a gospel message that is devoid of talking about sin and repentance. Otherwise, why did Jesus... Die on a cross. What was it all about? Or maybe we can just miss that bit out altogether as an irrelevance. We all need to be very careful to stay away from false teachers who preach another gospel, whether it be in the churches or online or wherever. Finally, those of you in here who acknowledge that you are sinners but you nevertheless imagine that it is somehow within you to make things right between yourself and a holy and sin-hating God through your own pathetic endeavours, the message to you is quite simple. Forget it. Stop. Repent. Believe in Christ alone for your salvation from sin. Trust in Jesus as your substitute who who fulfilled the law's demands in life and in death. And receive his righteousness. The righteousness of the incarnate Son of God. And may your acceptance be in him. Amen.